applies to. Happy Father's Day. And let's start with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much. What a beautiful day that you've given to us. And uh, what a great day to remember, to honor uh, fathers. I was thinking about my own father this morning and and uh, how blessed I was to have him as a dad. And uh, I pray that, um, that he's um, celebrating with you. And I just lift you up this morning, Father, to give you uh, glory and praise and honor uh, for the this word that we're going to take a look at this morning. And um, I just pray that uh, all of our hearts would would be receptacles of hearing and doing um, so that we can um, honor you even more. We pray this in Jesus' name. I, I wanted to start off with, with um, something that I saw on some news show. It was a clip this morning, and it was a group of of people who, well, you know how they are sometimes, that all-knowing, all <laughs> uh, kind of, you know, goofy, but in, in, in this day and age, quite often some scary stuff. Anyway, this one guy, they were talking about AI, artificial intelligence, and this this one guy very pompously was saying that, that um, he's excited because um, AI is going to be able to produce uh, a more accurate type of Bible that would give us a true religion. And I was like, oh, are you kidding me? Uh, and, and that goes, obviously goes contrary to everything that we've been talking about in, in this series. Um, God's word, Jesus himself, every, you know, uh, our, our Heavenly Father, the same yesterday, today, and forever, without without change, without end. Um, the, the creator, our creator. Um, and, and one who loves us so much that even when we as a people, like the, the Israelites, are disobedient, he sends people that he communicates through to give them a door, an opening to proceed through so that they can um, return to him. And it's, it's like uh, uh, way back in the, in the uh, early days of the church, um, I can't re remember the historian but um, there were a lot of rumors floating around about the the, uh, the early church and the damage that they were doing to the empire, you know, because they weren't worshiping the emperor and, and, and that sort of thing. And it was during one of the persecutions. Um, it may have been during Nero's time. Um, and the historian wrote an, a, a letter stating, what have they done wrong? They gather together to pray. They take care of orphans. They feed widows 
and poor people. They love one another. Um, they share everything together. What have they done? Well, they don't worship the emperor. And so they make good torches in the garden. And we're, we're entering similar days, similar days, and there's no question about it. I'm not anticipating uh, any, any torches in our future, but when, when I think I heard a pastor say this uh, Wednesday night or last Sunday, when you, when you look around the world and you see Christians in uh, a lot of other, other countries where they don't have as, as many of the um, freedoms that we have, their their lives are are challenged all the time, you know. Deny deny Christ. They people are, are are pushed to deny Christ, and when they don't, they they lose their lives or they go to jail, and uh, and so anyway, um, we're gonna <laughs> uh, thank you, Pastor Darrell, uh, for this honor to be here. Uh, we're going to be looking at Zechariah today, and his name means the Lord remembers. One of the interesting things about this book is it's the longest book of the Old Testament minor prophets. So I guarantee you I will not be able to get through this whole book this time. We're going to have to cut it in half. And uh, uh, so that will be a, two weeks from today. Next Sunday... We're going to have a, a video uh, from the uh, Institute of Creation Research that's going to be presented. And uh, uh, the reason for me delaying for a week is because I'm, I'm Pastor Darrell is going to go on one of his great hunting trips. And uh, uh, it's something that I totally don't relate to. Um, I, I never, except for my son-in-law and my daughter, and their family, they're all hunters, and, and uh, it, it's great. I don't even like meat from, <laughs> from hunting. I, uh, I, I, I went to a church in Bozeman, Montana, and uh, when I first started going there, it was hunting season was coming up, and this guy gets up, and he, and he was very emotional. He was going to go out on a hunt to provide for his family. And I thought, well, that's nice. I'll pray for him, you know. And then the next Sunday, there was another guy and maybe two guys. And and I was thinking, you know, man, they're really pumping a lot of emotion into this. And and uh, I felt like raising my hand and saying, do any of you know that there are five grocery stores in town? But I, I didn't want to get on anyone's bad side, let alone Pastor Darrell. I shouldn't even say anything like this because... He might cut me off from next Sunday if I'm not careful. Anyway, I, I do I do love it. I mean, it's it's I've learned to love it. My son-in-law's got big old moose antlers and hanging in his living room, and my daughter's got the, a rare uh, doll sheep, big ram horns uh, that she that she got. <laughs> it's uh, caused conflict in our family, but <laughs> right. Anyway, <clears throat> I, I don't mean to be flippant, but I am sometimes. So let's push on. So you, you've got your, uh, hopefully there were new, no new timeline charts up there. 
but I, I hope everybody has their timeline chart. And you can see uh, that we're down at the very, very bottom of the chart, uh, the post-exile prophets. We're looking at Zechariah, and so we've got Zechariah and Malachi, and then after Malachi, we're going to do a conclusion lesson. And um, um, so we're, we're, we're getting there. <clears throat> on, your, on your bulletins, um, I've got your bulletin up here, Pastor, if you need it. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so uh, uh, Zechariah has a... Um, uh, standing with Michelangelo, who was, of course, a famous artist back in the day. And you can see that picture there. And uh, it's a pretty um, pretty comprehensive outline. It starts off with a call to repentance, and then there's, uh, there's visions, um, the call for reform, benefits that are coming, um, the process of restoration and rebuilding, and uh, and then lastly, uh, the day of the Lord, which is a co- common to uh, pretty much all of the minor prophets. And uh, <clears throat> let's take a look at the key verses. On your bulletins, there there are five of them. Verses uh, verses one to three in chapter one. Um, it's compacted so the lord was very angry with your fathers and of course that's referring to the jews that came out of egypt therefore he says return to me and i will return to you and that's that's always been an an applicable promise that the lord gives consistently return to me and i will return to you we'll break it down here in just a minute but it's important to Keep that in mind. And then chapter 3, verse 4, speaking of Joshua, the high priest, the angel said, remove the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, see, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with festal robes. Uh, another another great uh, verse to dig into in a minute here. Chapter 4, verse 6, not by my might nor by power, but my spirit, by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I know that pretty much everybody's heard that verse. It's used, you know, out of context a, a lot. But it's, uh, um, it, it, it's it, again, it's, it's, it's a pretty pointed uh, dagger when it comes to not doing your own thing but doing what the Lord wants you to do because that's where, um, that's where strength comes from. Chapter 6, verse 15. And it will take place if you will completely obey the Lord your God. So that's the other half of the promise there. Return to me and I will return to you. And it will take place if you completely obey the Lord your God. And then lastly, uh, chapter 7, verses 9 to 10. Dispense true justice and practice kindness and compassion each to his brother. And do not oppress the widow or the orphan, the stranger or the poor. And do not devise evil in your hearts against uh, one another. And we're, we're looking at all of the, the empathy and compassion and care and, and the characteristics of the Lord that he wants us to adopt into our own lives and practice to, uh, toward others. 
And of course, when we look at the church, primarily in the church, the command to love one another as being the key to reaching out to others. So I do want to spend some time breaking these down. Uh, the first one, the Lord was very angry. And if, if you were to look at the, the Hebrew, the word angry in Hebrew is actually used twice. Angry, angry. The Lord was angry, angry. And it's a perfect construction. And it's doubled, which means it's, it's, it's an, an aroused wrath that is within the Lord that's based upon his, his just, loving judgment. And, uh, and then this is directed at the fathers, and th- that would be anyone who came before them, those who failed to submit. And then, of course, it's, it, it takes that first part of the statement there, and it says, therefore... Uh, and, and so it's referring back to the violations of having no gods before me and, and the, of course, the command, pay attention. We know from looking at all the other uh, minor prophets that, uh, that that have no other gods before me was abused constantly. I mean, they, they no more got out of Egypt and into the wilderness, and, and Moses went up to the top of the mountain and, and they, they built a golden calf. And, and we've seen that they actually had two golden calves in uh, northern and southern um, kingdoms. Um, uh, and that was always a problem uh, with them. So, it, and it says, uh, uses the reference, the Lord of hosts. Um, this is talking about absolute power, and it's also talking about the angelic. Um, those are his hosts and then says he says the Lord says uh, again this is a, this is perfect and you see it's used um, in the middle part of the verse there on the right and at the bottom on, on the right it says says so it's, it's increased emphasis on the word of the Lord the importance of the word of the Lord and then you have also return being used twice the first one is a command to um, his listeners, return to me, turn back, repent, be restored. And the next one is the promise, return to you. It's also a command, and here it's applied to the certainty of the promise. So we, we can see that God's word is a living word. It's eternal and true, and um, he wants us to live by it. Because he is the word. The second one, Joshua, or um, Joshua, let's see the word there. Chapter 3, verse 4. This is speaking of Joshua the high priest and the angel speaking. And it says, first of all, remove. Uh, this is causative action. This is a command uh, to for, for an entity to go and take uh, garments away from him. And these garments are actually a metaphor of the 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 dirtiness and the and the treachery and the fraudulence uh and the wickedness of of um, mankind their their inner man and they're described as filthy and uh, from upon um, the word filthy suggests being smeared with refuse and dung 
don't have to describe that. Uh, representing priesthood defilement. <clears throat> Isaiah 64, 6 says this, uh, and this applies to everybody, not just to the priesthood, not just to, to Joshua, but to all of us. All of us are like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment and wither like a leaf. Our iniquities like the wind take us away. <clears throat> and then it uses the word see and that's a, a command of exclamation. It means behold to see outside oneself so you can learn. And then I have taken, this is a causative active perfect, um, which means to pass over, to cover, uh, to cause to pass. The, the idea of covering um, means to take away, uh, in this case, the, what the garments rep represent, which would be uh, sin. Uh, and then it uses the word iniquity, which is, of course, sin. Uh, it's it's an, a purposeful twisting and conscious Wrong, the idea here is to understand that sin is being removed by grace here. I mean, he's not taking the robes off himself. It's being done for him. And I will clothe. Again, this is a causative, active, absolute uh, construct. It means to dress, to put on, uh, and to be clothed in uh, something that is absent of sin and it's also freely given. And then the term festal robes uh, means finding woman, white garment, worn as a sign of rejoicing and purity. And in Isaiah 64.10, it says, He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. I'm sure if you, if you explore the memory banks in your mind, you can... You can see that's a, a New Testament principle as well. So here it is, not by might nor by power, but my, by my spirit, says the Lord. So it starts off with negatives, not, not by might. It's an absolute negation of collective strength found, and it's talking about national strength here because this is directed to the nation, but it's all... Uh, also talking about their their uh, their wealth, their armies, um, and anything any, anything external that it is considered to be strength, and it's not by that. And then if you apply it to the personal, it's not by by personal physical strength either. Nor by power is also an absolute negation of strength as vigor. Health, wealth, intelligence, social, or political. And then it says, but by my spirit, and you can translate that rather, in, instead of the negatives, rather by my spirit. And, and we know that spirit is in, in Hebrew means breath, and it's referring to um, the, the Lord himself and, and his, his spirit, uh, essentially the trinity. And it's an absolute positive alternative other than self, meaning to submit to the omnipotent, the omnipresent, the omniscient spirit of the Lord. And again, says the Lord of hosts. Um, and we've looked at the word Lord uh, quite a number of times from Yahweh, 
who was, who is, who is to come, and then, of course, that representation of the Lord of hosts. And I found a pretty good image that represents um, what that mean, would mean maybe on a small scale. Because right, when you're talking about the angelic host, you're talking about innumerable. It's, uh, be, be, it's beyond measure. But they are his messengers and his warriors as well. Remember in the book of Daniel, the angel that came to Daniel and said he was delayed because he was engaged in battle. <clears throat> we'll have a chance to see that at some other time and place. Uh, chapter 6, verse 15, and it will take place if you will completely obey the voice of the Lord your God. The context here, uh, Zechariah reveals that Zerubbabel, foreshadowing the Messiah in verse 12, a couple of verses before this one, will come to rebuild the temple. This will happen when the captives, those far off, the ones who have been scattered, return as well. Then the people of God will come to believe the prophet, and it will take place if. Notice that that word if, that conditional word, it, it, it sort of stands out in that verse. If you will completely obey. So um, the fact that it will take place is a perfect construct, uh, which means that it, it exists and it will come. It, it will be restored. It will come into being. And, of course, it's referring to individual salvation, and then it's also referring to uh, future application in the Messiah. Um, the idea of completely um, means it requires hearing, listening, uh, and understanding with doing. If you have ears to hear, and, and, and then you have to put it into action. Uh, the idea of obedience, we all understand what, uh, what that means. It means setting aside self and submitting to uh, the guidance that the Lord is providing through these, these words of the prophet. Uh, and then it, it, in, in the English, it's not translated there, the, the voice of the Lord, but there is a Hebrew word that you can find in, in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, it's a powerful link confirming the object of true worship is obedience and hearing the word. And then we see again the, the word Lord and the word God, uh, which is Adonai, the true one, the creator, the Lord, the Savior, the faithful one, and uh, many, many other descriptive terms. Uh, chapter 7, verses 9 to 10. And this one's pretty detailed. It's pretty complicated. Uh, the idea of dispensing, and notice it's in, in, in the, uh, the breakdown there, it's actually the third one down. So the, the order in the Hebrew is justice, true justice, dispense, and practice. Give it out, practice it yourself. Um, there's no deviation uh, there's no wiggle room in, in any of this, I guess, what it's trying to say. Um, and then it says, each to his brother. So this is, this is a, actually a metaphor of a loving husband uh, linked to all mankind, what a husband does for a wife, linking it to all mankind. Um, 
and then it also says each to his, oh, I just said that, each to his brother. And then it describes the widow, the orphan, the stranger, and the poor. I'm going to pull up a little screen here just to define terms. A, a widow, of course, is one whose husband has died. An orphan in the Hebrew was a fatherless child. Not a motherless child, but a fatherless child. In modern terminology, it would be a child that is parentless. Mother and father are gone. Uh, a stranger is uh, called a sojourner, uh, an individual not native to Israel. And the reason why uh, sojourners, strangers, however you want to describe them, were important to the Jews is because that's what they were when they left uh, left Egypt to actually go live in Egypt and then after their captivity to leave captivity and wander in the wilderness for 40 years and getting rebuffed by nation after nation, especially Edom, uh, until they were allowed to go into the promised land. <clears throat> and the idea of not uh, oppressing is is used here with, with command force, which which implies don't ever, don't ever, 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 ever oppress. And, uh, or engage in, in evil, um, and, and especially in your hearts toward one another. You know, Jesus himself says, um, if, you, if you lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery with her. If you hate your brother, you've already murdered your brother. And, and so, uh, uh, you know, we can see that those ideas uh, of, of recognizing internal wickedness were a part of the Old Testament teaching as well. It starts on the inside, and, and the end of it is through submission and faith um, in God. And Abraham was considered the friend of God because he trusted God. He had faith in God. Okay, so going through those verses, I've talked a lot about the idea of repentance, return to me and I will return to you. Um, it, it's all part and parcel with this idea that I, I keep promoting from Psalm 51, 16 to 17. God is not interested in physical sacrifices. Yes, the, the temple sacrifices were set up as an example for the nations, for, for the people of the nation and what, what they're what they're being called to do individually, which was to allow themselves to have uh, broken, uh, broken spirits and a broken and contrite heart before the Lord, um, because that's when God acts upon our hearts and and gives us uh, the faith to follow Him, and um, and so whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, of course, the only difference is that in the Old Testament, um, the Holy Spirit did not indwell them. We're blessed with the with the, the the idea. And Jesus said it to them in the upper room that it was good that He would go away because He was going to send another Comforter, and that He would be with you and dwell in you. We can see that. We can see that when all of the disciples, after Jesus was taken away and eventually uh, crucified on the cross, they all scattered. They, every one of them scattered. And then, of course, the resurrection occurred, and they were hiding in a room, and Jesus appeared to them in the room, and, and he, and he uh, 
ultimately said to them, go to the upper room and at the right time you will receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and dwells within you. And we see these same 12 frightened, cowering cowards who ran away and denied Jesus standing up before 10,000 people in the temple and it says they took their stand together and they began to preach and they never, never backed down. It's because they had the Holy Spirit. So here's the theme. The immediate rebuilding of the temple is linked to covenant promises of the Lord. And we'll see that if we can get to it today. Um, Thus, the Lord remembers contains the promise of the future hope in the coming Messiah. And his purpose for writing this, um, referring to Haggai, Haggai called for repentance and faithfulness using punitive language. Zechariah, this call is the same, using the language of diligence and consolation uh, added to the punitive. The method, the word of the Lord comes to Zechariah in a series of eight visions combined with several oracle-like messages uh, this book is uh, apocalyptic, eschatological, and messianic, and I dare you to say that real fast. Um, but I, I'm sure you probably, uh, apocalyptic means, is referring to the, to the, uh, the Lord coming and, and destroying everything. Uh, eschatological refers to end times, essentially. And, of course, Messianic for the Jews was, again, referring to um, what we now know as the first advent and then coming the second advent, which we are still awaiting. And then the summary here, a message of consolation and hope pointing to immediate blessings of faithfulness and future benefit. So the author, Zechariah, was a Levite, and he was raised by Ido. His grandfather, who was also a priest and was old enough to remember Solomon's temple. Zechariah was born in Babylon, so he was a part of the captivity. And he migrated to Judah with Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, the high priest. Tradition holds that Zechariah was a member of the great synagogue, which was a council of 120 elders first formed by Nehemiah, and presided over by Ezra, and it would later be called the Sanhedrin, and we know that the, the Lord himself and the disciples came up against the Sanhedrin. Um, date. Zechariah's prophecy begins two months after the beginning of Haggai. The messages span over a two-year period of transmission. The date's 520 to 518 B.C. If you remember last week when I was uh, talking about Haggai, I said it was very specific. It, it was a four-month span uh, that it was referring to. Uh, this this prophecy starts two months right in the middle of Haggai, and and it, so it has that same uh, that that same timeline. They were kind of interconnected in that way. Yeah, you gotta scratch your heads on. Do, do you think they knew each other? It would, you know, do they have, do they have uh, um, prophet meetings and you know get together for 
play cards or whatever they did. I'm sure that they were aware. So you have your map there. <clears throat> I have a little portion of it. But one of the nice things about this, and we'll see it here, um, I took all the names out of the book and made sure that they were very clearly seen. And if you're going from top to bottom, as we'll see, that was the route of the invasion that uh, took over um, the promised land until modern times. So during the reign of Cyrus, 50,000 Jews migrated back to Israel. Um, these folks built the foundation of the temple in 536, but work stopped due to opposition and indifference among the unfaithful populace. We saw that uh, last week. After Darius gained the throne in 521, Haggai and Zechariah called for renewed building of the temple. And by the power and presence of the word of the Lord, work was completed on the temple in 516 B.C. Sounds like some of our work projects around 20, year, 20 years in length. <laughs> they didn't have the same kind of, we don't think, implements and tools that, that we do. I think I've had some projects that I worked on for 20 years, myself and I, back in the day. So let's take start taking a look at the text uh, here, and you can see how specific it is, the way that it starts. In the eighth month, second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the prophet. It clearly identifies who he is. It identifies whose word it is. It's the Lord's word. And it identifies his heritage. The son of Berechiah, the son of Ido, saying, The Lord was angry with your fathers. Thus says the Lord, return to me that I may return to you. So it's kind of like, you know, okay, this is who it's coming from. This is who it's going through. You're, you're going to get the message right up front. Repent. And if you don't, I won't return to you. It's, it's really very clear. Then it goes on. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets said, return from your evil ways and evil deeds. But they did not. They did not listen or give heed. Your fathers, where are they? Dead. And the prophets, do they live forever? No. Did not my words and statutes which I commanded overtake your fathers? Yes. Then they repented and said, as the Lord proposed to do to us in accordance with our ways and deeds, so he has dealt with us. And so that's speaking of the consistency of the Lord. You don't do what you're supposed to do. He promises he will deal with you. If you repent, he will return to you. If you don't, judgment follows. So a couple of images there. You can see that uh, it's a, uh, not an actual coin, but it's a recreation of a coin that had an image of uh, Darius on it and, uh, and then uh, Zechariah. Sorry for the dryness. I uh, maybe should in insert here. You know, I've, I've been dealing with AFib, and the doctors ordered a new prescription for me like a, w a 
week and a half, almost two weeks ago, and it still hasn't come in the mail yet. <laughs> so I'm still waiting for this new medication. So I appreciate your continued prayers. So the 24th day, 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. It's the same pattern. I saw at night a man on a red horse among the myrtle trees in the ravine. This gets really specific, doesn't it? Um, With red, sorrel, and white horses behind. So I, I, I looked at this little artistic rendition, and this is exactly what they painted. So somebody was looking at the Bible when they did this artistic rendition here. Uh, anyway, um, and I said, what are these? The angel said, I will show you. The man in the trees answered, these are those the Lord sent to patrol the earth. And uh, I always like putting up a picture of the earth from outer space, which the Jews never had. But we know that, that he, what he was talking about was to all mankind. Patrol the the planet wherever man was. They said, we have patrolled the earth. It is peaceful and quiet. The angel said, oh, Lord, how long will you, uh, how long will you have no compassion for Jerusalem and the cities of Judah? These 70 years, uh, which is how long they've been in captivity. The Lord answered with gracious, comforting words. The angel said, thus says the Lord, I am uh, jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, but I am very angry with the nations at ease. For while I was only a little angry, they furthered the disaster. The Lord says, I will return to Jerusalem with compassion. My house will be built in it, and a measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem. My cities will again overflow with prosperity. The Lord will comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. Then I lifted my eyes, and there were four horns. Now, this is where it gets, you know, interesting. And, and uh, the, the understanding is a little bit revelation-like because what are the four horns? And um, it, it becomes very clear. Uh, so I said, what are these? He answered, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, Judah Israel, and Jerusalem. So it's referring to, the, to nations, and we've got uh, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. We have the privilege of hindsight. We look back at history, and we can see that these are the nations that did accomplish these things. And then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. <clears throat> and I said, what are these coming to do? And he said, these have scattered Judah. The craftsmen have come to terrify to throw down the horns. So the craftsmen are going to destroy the horns of the nations who have raised their horns against Judah in order to scatter it. And we have a note from MacArthur that that helps clarify. Uh, The four craftsmen represent nations that overthrow the four horns. That is, Medo-Persia over Babylon, then Greece rises, then Rome, and finally the victorious messianic kingdom. And so... These are symbols representing nations that overflow sequentially. I looked and saw a man with a measuring line. I said, where are you going? He said, to measure Jerusalem, how wide and long it is. The angel was going out and another was coming to meet him and said to him, speak to that man. Jerusalem will be without walls because of the multitude 
of men and cattle within. For I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire and glory in her midst. Flee from the north, for I have dispersed you as the four winds of the heavens escape from Babylon, daughter of, escape from the daughter of Babylon. It's interesting, it, it refers to the north, and we talked about that Wednesday night, how one of the kings went and conquered all of the territories and nations south of Jerusalem, but didn't do anything about what was going on up north, and that's where the destruction was coming from. And that's what this is indicating as well, the consistency. So in this passage, it's the Messiah speaking, proclaiming um, the love of the Lord for Israel. Uh, the Lord says, after glory, he has sent me against the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. So Israel is described as the apple of the Lord's eye. Behold, I will wave my hand over them. They will be plundered for their slaves. Then you will know the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing for joy and be glad, daughter of Zion, for I am coming and I will dwell in your midst. <coughs> many, many nations will join the Lord and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst. And you will know that he has sent me. He will possess Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before him, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. And then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, before the angel of the Lord, and Satan there to accuse him. The Lord said, I rebuke you. I chose Jerusalem to rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Joshua was clothed with filthy garments before the angel, who said to those before him, Remove the garments. And to Joshua, I have taken your iniquity and will clothe you with festal robes. I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put it on him and clothed him while the angel was standing by. And then we have there in Matthew 6.33, Seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness will be added to you. So then the angel admonished Joshua, Thus says the Lord, and notice the conditional, If you walk in my ways and perform my service, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will grant you access among these who are here. <clears throat> Joshua, you and your friends with you are a symbol. I am going to bring in my servant, the branch. Now this is talking about the Messiah. And then it says, the stone that I set before Joshua, on one are seven eyes, I will engrave on it, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, everyone will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree. So this is a future reference, of course, to the branch of the Messiah and what he comes to accomplish. And then it, it gives uh, this idea of the stone, uh, and it, it refers to the rejected stone. It refers... It refers to the cornerstone of the New Jerusalem as well. This is this is referring to the Messiah. It's uh, with the, the presence of the eyes speaks of omniscience, 
And of course, we know it's rejected stone. It says so in 1 Peter 2.6. A choice stone, a precious cornerstone, in him you will not be disappointed. My time flies. The angel returned and roused me from sleep and said, What do you see? I said, I see a lampstand of gold and a bowl on top and seven lamps and seven spouts to each lamp and two olive trees, one on the right and one on the left. I said, what are these? The angel asked, do you not know what these are? I said, no. He said, this is the Lord's word to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. What are you, great mountain? Before Zerubbabel. Now, this is a metaphor, and it refers to any mountain, any opposition, which will be defeated, and joy and thanksgiving will arise. Uh, Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain, and he will bring the top stone with shouts, grace, grace to it. I think we have time for this last panel. The Lord's word came, the hands of Zerubbabel laid the foundation. His hands will finish it, then you will know the Lord has sent me. For who has despised the day of small things? But these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. These are the eyes of the Lord which range through the earth. I said, what are the two olive trees on the right and left of the lampstand? I said a second time, what are the two olive branches beside the two golden pipes? which emptied the oil. He answered, do you not know what these are? I said, no. He said, I I love it. Jesus, when he talked to the disciples and they didn't understand, he explained it to them, right? This is what's going on right here too. He said, these are the two anointed ones who are standing by the Lord of the whole earth. Well, the two anointed ones are Zerubbabel and Joshua representing king and priest over Israel When we get to the Messiah, those two offices will be combined uh, that in him, in Jesus, Israel may become the light of nations. So um, we will pick it up here. And if you just look at the note on the right-hand side there, you'll get an idea of where we're headed. God's word is the divine standard by which man is measured. Let's pray. Uh, Thank you, Father, that we're able to um, get through this and to to see how clearly uh, you explain what you desire, Lord. Uh, I pray this morning that my own heart would be yielded to you and that 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 submission would be uh, from your strength and not my own. And I pray that for all who are here in attendance this morning, and in collective, we would all seek to give you the honor and the glory, and we pray it in Jesus' name.